The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, good morning. Thank you so much for inviting me to share the Dharma with you this morning. Today I wanted to talk a little bit about the paramita, the perfection of generosity. And I want to use a teaching story from the Zen lineage. Uh, Actually, it's a very early Buddhist story. Uh, And it's about a nun whose name is Fa Sheng. Fa Sheng was Chinese, and she lived in the um, 4th century, and she was from northwest China. And originally she was a married person, but during this time of the Xin dynasty, uh, there was a great deal of upheaval, and her entire family was either killed or disappeared. And so because of that, uh, she became a nun. They didn't have actually official nuns in those days. They just had women who went off to, to convents and monasteries. So she lived at this wonderful monastery called Great Mysterious Terrace Convent. I just like the name. Uh, And her understanding was considered to be profound at that time. So this story is from a very early period, uh, as I say, of a time when women practiced seriously, but there was no ordination procedure. Uh, But they would meditate together, they would live together, they would offer retreats. So I'm going to read the story first and then uh, talk a little bit about it. The story is called Fa Shang's Recognition. The nun Fa Shang often shared her clothing and food, giving the best to the nun Hui Su. The other nuns admonished Fa Shang, saying, The nun Hui Su is uncultivated and inarticulate. When she wanted to study meditation, no one would even give her instruction because she is the worst of idiots. If I were teaching my young children at school right now, I would stop and say, wow, that wasn't a very nice thing to say, was it? (laughs) Right speech. They said then, why don't you sow the seeds of generosity in a more spiritually worthy field? Fa Sheng responded, one would have to be a saint to know the spiritual accomplishments of the recipient of donations. I'm a very ordinary person, so I would rather do it this way. Later, Hui Su sponsored a seven-day meditation retreat with the community. On the third night, when the other arose from meditation, she did not get up, remaining in a deep meditation state until the end of the retreat. It was only then that the other nuns saw Hui Su's extraordinary abilities. And for the first time, they understood Fa Sheng's insight. Hmm. So first of all, this story is meant to illustrate Fa Sheng's extraordinary and rather unusual understanding of this paramita, this perfection of generosity. This is this dana that we're always talking about. Dana, generosity, is about giving freely. No expectation of return, no reward. 
We don't judge the merit of the recipient of our gift. Now usually we think of generosity as the giving of something, either material things, money, time, our energy. And that's where this story begins. It begins with talking about Fasheng giving the best of her things to this nun we sue. And she is introduced in the story as a very generous disciple. And in particular, and this is important to note, one who gives her best things to Huisu, a nun that all the others seem to despise. How many times have we walked into a situation where a new person comes and everyone comes up and has something to say about that person? Oh, you don't want to get too close to her. She's bad news. Or, oh, he is a real problem. You know, just keep away. Already, we've been given information that is negative. We're already tending in that direction. Instead of waiting and finding out for ourselves. So these nuns, you know, they all crowd around Fasheng saying, what's wrong with you? This, this nun Huisu, she's an idiot. Why are you wasting your time on her? You know, if you're going to give, give to somebody who's worthy. Okay, boy, judgment, judgment, judgment right there. Obviously in this story a very deliberate contrast is being made between Fasheng and these other nuns who are not only perplexed but actually dismayed by Fasheng's attitude. Because their understanding is not that uncommon, actually, that generosity is meant only for those who are worthy. And therefore, why is Fasheng wasting her time? How many times do we walk down the street and see a homeless person and the thought arises Should I give this person money or not? If I do, what are they going to spend it on? Oh, I don't want them to spend it on drink or drugs. Already, so many thoughts have arisen. So many judgments, so many ideas. You know nothing about this person. This person knows nothing about you. But already you're deciding whether they are worthy of your gift. But Fa Shang's response shows her really deep understanding of the true nature of generosity. She says, one would have to be a saint to know the spiritual accomplishments of the recipient of donations. I am a very ordinary person, so I would rather do it this way. What is a saint? Hmm. Well, she seems to be implying that it is a being with limitless knowledge and transcendent insight. One who would be able to know another so completely that he or she could judge whether that person was virtuous and wise enough to deserve donations. Who among us feels that we have that level of insight and clarity? about anyone. I would ask you to seriously practice with the assumption 
that we have of knowing another human being. We just don't. We may think we do. Even with those who are closest to us, we may think we do. And the truth is, there are parts of each one of us that no one will ever know. Even my husband. I'm, I'm always thrilled, actually, when I see something that I've never seen before. Either in him relating to someone else, because, of course, we each relate differently to different people, right? I can always tell who he's talking to on the phone. If he's talking to his old friend from high school, there's a certain laugh he has. It's very mischievous. You know, like, we're getting into trouble together. He never uses that laugh with anybody else. He certainly doesn't use it with me. So I always know that it's this friend. And I know that there's a part of him then that I don't know. And it's okay. I'm, I'm happy with that. It's okay that I don't have to know everything. But the problem with thinking that we know someone is that actually what we've done is we've made up our mind about them. And then we dismiss anything that doesn't quite fit into that thing that we've made up our mind about. So Fa Sheng, this, this is really the depth of her understanding, she knows she doesn't understand anyone that way. And she says, I am not a saint, I'm a very ordinary person. And ordinary people only know a small part of anything. Because let's face it, the world and people are very, very complicated. She understands that it is in our thinking that we understand others that deeply, that we allow ourselves to judge them. On the basis of what? The clothes they wear, the car they drive, the look on their face the first time we meet them, How many times have you gone to the grocery store when something really terrible has happened and you're standing in line feeling just miserable because, you know, your mother is dying or you've just been to the hospital of a friend in a terrible accident and the person at the grocery says, have a nice day. (laughs) Ah, you don't really quite know what to do with it. So you, oh, thank you, you too. (laughs) We, We go on as if we all know what's going on for each other and we just don't. And Fa Sheng knows this. And she also knows that the other nuns don't know it. They don't seem to be able to see past the reputation that Hui Su arrives at the monastery with of being uncultivated, the worst of idiots. Boy, damning statement. Most of the time, the things that we are judging other people's worth on has absolutely no basis in fact. It is assumption, it is hearsay, it is prejudice, it is intolerance. Pure generosity, real dana, transcends these conventional views. It is the willingness to seek out and perceive the perfection, the Buddha, in each being we meet. Even when that Buddha might be quite hidden. 
you know, we talk about that Buddha is not out there. You know, we have statues of Buddha looking very serene. We have Avalokiteshvara, Kanan. We have uh, Mahapajapati. We have all of these examples of trying to remind us that every single being in this room is Buddha. Not part of Buddha, not a reflection of Buddha, but is Buddha, each being. That whatever coverings, you know, the skandhas, the five, the coverings over that Buddha nature that may not make it appear that we are behaving like a Buddha, that inside each one of us, that is actually who we really are. But it takes a fashang to be willing to take the time and make the effort to draw that Buddha out. Many, many years ago, I went to New York to attend an ordination of a student of my teacher. And this person already had students of her own and was running a group. And her senior person had a partner. And after the ordination, uh, there was a big party. And all of a sudden they realized there was kind of a commotion off to one side. It was a very nice place that the party was in and there was like a living room area. And when I came over to see what was going on, the partner of this senior student was lying down on the sofa, uh, clearly in um, you know, a state of, of not feeling well. And I just did what anybody does. You know, I walk, is there something I can do for you? And so we made this connection, this young woman and I. And it happened that I went back to New York many times after that because the person who had been ordained by my teacher was a friend of mine. But I also got to know her, her two students. One of them was planning to become a monk. But the other one was not. And I asked her why. And she said that my friend had told her that she didn't have what it took to be a monk. Now, I didn't want to, obviously, uh, contradict my friend, but I didn't quite see what the difference was between these two women. They both seemed pretty dedicated to the Dharma to me, and I have always felt if someone felt a calling to be a monk, that, you know, it's my job to support that. And, and I told her, I said, well, gee, I don't see any reason why you really couldn't be. And it was the first time in her life, it turns out, that someone had had that kind of feeling about her and told her, you could do this. Both of those students are now my students. (laughs) One of them just got transmitted as a teacher last year by me. The other one is a very fine monk. It isn't that the other teacher was mean, or wrong-headed, 
It's just that she, she couldn't see past something, that she had made up her mind about this person. She couldn't see past it. And me, coming from a completely different place, walking in fresh and new, saw something there. And that is another reason why it is important for us to travel around in the Dharma and to visit other centers and to meet other practitioners and other teachers to keep our own practice fresh so that we don't fall into these bad habits of saying, oh, it's so-and-so, oh yeah, well, so-and-so's not very interesting, or she doesn't have a very deep practice, or, well, I know about that thing she did last week. So much of how we treat each other has to do with some one or two incidents in the past. And the really ironic thing is, you know that you change. Each one of you knows this about yourself. You're not the same person you were even, you know, ten minutes ago. Especially you're not the same person you were five years ago or ten years ago. Why is it that we assume that we're the only one who is changing? Clearly, if we're changing, everybody else has the opportunity to change too. So all those people we've made up our minds about, they might be completely different now. But we are the ones that keep them in that box. So really, in this case, Fa Sheng's true act of generosity is not in the giving of things. That has its benefit. But the real generosity, the real dana here, was that of all those people in that monastery, she was the one who actually saw Huisu for who she was, really. She saw that she was a capable, deeply spiritual person. And maybe she was uncultivated. Maybe she was inarticulate. In my tradition, one of the greatest masters of all time, Hui Neng, who carried the Dharma through China, was a total illiterate. He gathered wood for his living to support his elder mother. And one day he shows up in the marketplace and there is a priest who is reciting the Diamond Sutra. And simply by listening to that priest, he was so wide open, he had an amazing awakening experience and went on to be one of the greatest teachers in my lineage. So we Sue doesn't know how to read, write. You know, maybe she is an idiot. Intelligence or lack thereof is not a problem in this practice because it's not about our intellect. It's about our spirit. It's about our heart. She sees, Fa Sheng sees that Hui Su is inherently perfect. I always, when I think of this, I think of Blanche Hartman, one of the teachers at Zen Center, and Suzuki Roshi. And him saying, you know, you are all inherently perfect. And her saying to herself, well, he doesn't know me very well yet. (laughs) No, actually, he understood and knew everybody very well in a way that most people really don't know you. You are perfect. There may be a lot of stuff on top of that perfection that needs to be cleared away. 
but it is like standing in a muddy pool. If you keep moving around, mud keeps moving around too and you cannot see clearly. But the Dharma meditation practice is about sitting still long enough for the mud to settle. And then you see things so much more clearly and the path opens before you. So Fa Shang sees Wee Su because her own practice is so clear, because she has cultivated this mind of clarity to be able to see each and every one of you as inherently perfect, despite what it looks like on the outside. We all have this outer stuff that doesn't look so pretty. We all lie, we all steal, we all kill. You know, you have a vegetarian lunch and that's really wonderful, but you drove a car here. Millions of bugs have given their life for you to be here today. So then it becomes again, who's deserving of our empathy and our pity? Not the bugs. In order for us to live, something always has to die. As one Zen teacher said, the only difference between the cow and the broccoli is that the cow screams louder. As soon as you cut that broccoli off its stem, it begins to die. Everything you eat is dead. I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but everything you eat is already dead. But if you left it on the vine, it would also die. That's the interesting thing. Everything has to die. In the meantime, we enjoy our life and we enjoy our perfection and we cultivate it and we look for that clarity. Thoreau once wrote in his famous Walden Pond, Nature and human life are as various as our several constitutions. Who shall say what prospect life offers to another? Could a greater miracle take place than for us to look through each other's eyes for an instant? This is what Fa Sheng is asking us to do. And it is so difficult. I, I would never try to fool you into thinking that this practice is easy. To look through another's eyes means you have to let go of your own. So yesterday as I was driving through my little hometown of Woodside, There was a little table set up on the street and there were three women and they had big posters of President Obama with the little Hitler mustache drawn on them. Remove Obama, impeach Obama. And I, you know, whatever your political feelings are, my my anger just immediately came up, my, my loss of equanimity. Not because I think that they don't have the right to vote him out of office. You know, if they want someone else, that is the way our constitution and government is set up. 
We all have the right to our own opinion. It was that this is the man who is holding that office now. And even presidents that I have disagreed with, it would never occur to me to take their photo and draw a little Hitler mustache as if to say, this is the killer of six million people. But I had to watch those feelings arise and the anger that came with it and the despair almost in my, for myself of why is it that anger is where I always start here? But to also understand that these three women firmly believe that this man is the devil to try to see through their eyes. That is a real practice. To try to understand where their level of disgust and hatred comes from as well. That's when the rubber hits the road in practice, folks. You know, it's easy to have thoughts of loving kindness and bunnies and flowers. (laughs) But when you see something like that, it's like... Where's your equanimity now, you know? So Thoreau, he got it. It is a miracle. The moment that we can be fashang and we can actually see through Hui Su's eyes is the moment that we see each other's perfection as well as our own. So what do these nuns understand? There's a part of me that says, hmm, they don't understand very much. What are we meant to understand in this story? Well, first of all, we're told at the end of the story that Hui Su, because she was so supported by Fa Sheng, eventually shows her own true quality. She offers the seven-day retreat, and in it, she herself goes into such deep meditation that after the third day, she does not rise again. And this is so inspirational for everyone else that they sit more deeply. And then the nuns say, Oh, oh, we sue. Oh, I guess you do have something to offer us. What a surprise. And then, oh, then they realize Fa Sheng, smart person. She saw this before we did. The nuns understand that Fa Sheng had this insight. But it is still unclear whether they realized what the insight was due to. Generosity includes a lot of things. But mostly, it is about not turning away. Not turning away from the thing that you are looking at that makes you so angry you could just spit and roll down your window and throw a little bomb over there. Yeah. Not turning away from the anger in myself. Not saying, well, you have every right to feel angry about something like that. I do? Why? Or they don't deserve your, you know, attention because they are behaving in a childish, unworthy way. I don't know anything about these people. All I'm seeing is the exterior version of their hatred and grief. I don't know their story. 
And even if I heard their story, I still don't really know the whole story. Generosity is the willingness to suspend belief, your belief, that you know something. (laughs) Very famous Zen master, not knowing is most intimate. It's a problem though, because in our culture, knowing, ooh, that's the gold standard, you know. We're all supposed to know, and we're supposed to know everything, and as soon as possible. But in our practice, actually, not knowing is the gold standard. Being willing to not know, being willing to be so open to whatever appears in another, allows us then maybe to look through their eyes or walk in their shoes or just hold hands together as you walk down the path. There is no Buddha outside of here. You cannot control anything out there. No matter how good you are, no matter how kind you are, no matter how moral you are, circumstances and conditions are going to arise that are going to test you. So there's only one place you can actually work. And that's here, in this Buddha. And it's what some people call a part-time Buddha. (laughs) Sometimes I feel like a Buddha and sometimes I do not. Yesterday I did not feel much like a Buddha at that moment. I felt like those people that you see getting real crazy on TV. (laughs) But I did not follow through. And maybe that is the value of practice that all of those feelings arise in all of us. That does not mean you are not Buddha. There are stories of the Buddha getting quite angry when war entered his country. It's what we do with it. It is understanding like Fasheng that we are really very ordinary people. But it is also an understanding that we are also quite extraordinary. And that is partly because we are willing to do this very difficult practice of looking moment after moment at this one here and being completely honest. That's the hardest part. Turns out being honest with the self where you have nothing to lose because no one else has to know about it, right? But even being honest with ourself is very difficult. And one of the reasons that it is so difficult is not even that that we don't want to be honest, but that we have so many belief systems in place that we are even unaware of. So I may have shared this in the past, but it is the best example that I have. It took me years and years and years of practice to finally realize that my personal practice is around anger. That's just the place I go. And I come by it naturally. I have a family of 
people like me who don't appear to be angry, but who really are. And the reason that it took me so long, I finally identified the belief system. In my family, nice people don't get angry. And we were all very nice people. And therefore, we must not be angry. And so I remember one time, after finally realizing this, saying something to a family member who was quite angry and had that sound in her voice, and saying, I thought we had agreed we weren't going to be angry like that. I'm not angry! She yelled back at me. Okay, this is the problem. If we do not understand ourselves, if we believe something about ourselves to the exclusion of everything else, we can never see the truth, even if we want to. So my family would vehemently deny that they are angry. And therein lies the crux of our problem, because we are all nice people. (laughs) And we are also people who have anger, and we have joy, and we have grief, and we have jealousy, and we have envy, and we have revengeful feelings. It's all part and parcel of being human. So the Buddha did not say, do not be angry. He said, don't hold on to it. He did not say, do not have jealousy arise. He said, don't attach to it. Watch it arise, and then as soon as you can, let it go. And this sounds so easy when I say it, and it is so difficult. My anger yesterday at seeing those things, I was driving up Woodside Road. (laughs) It took me quite a long time to let that go. That is why Fa Sheng is such an extraordinary example to us. She could have viewed Hui Su the same way all the other nuns had. Someone comes to you at work and starts telling you a story about someone else at work. Often your first impulse is, really? That's terrible. Instead of, oh, I think I better check in with that person later on and find out what's really going on here. It is so easy for us to believe things about each other. And I say again, you don't really know anything. Always be sure to be like Fa Shang and remember, We are all very ordinary people who have limited perspective and who are also trying very hard to open our hearts. I thank you all for your practice.